Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Wednesday. I hope everyone has had a great week so far. As you can tell from the title, we are talking about tyrants all around in the United States of America. If you have heard of the series Little Fires Everywhere, it's on Hulu. It's got Kerry Washington, Reese Witherspoon. That's where the title came from. Not Little Fires Everywhere, but Little Tyrants Everywhere. We've got tyrants in the government. We've got tyrants in the media. We've got tyrants in tech, tyrants in our education system. We are going to look at a few examples of that tyranny today and what it means for our lives. It's a really fun and full episode and I'm so excited to get into it. Before we do though, I want to tell you guys about a new sponsor that I'm so excited about. It's called the Classic Learning Test or the CLT exam, maybe you've heard of it. It's an alternative to the SAT and the ACT. And it would have been impossible just a few weeks ago to even imagine a scenario where the SAT and the ACT would have canceled all of their tests for the spring. I mean, this is a huge deal if you're like a sophomore or a junior, maybe even a senior, I don't even remember how it all works, but they've canceled all of their tests for the spring. And CLT, the alternative to the SAT or ACT, has actually tripled the testing dates available for this spring. Uh, most importantly, they are making the CLT available to students via remote proctoring at home. CLT has been developing, working on this technology for nearly a year. Their initial plan was to utilize remote proctoring as an option for students living in extremely rural areas, uh, but they're excited to make it available to all students given the circumstances that we're in with everyone kind of sheltering in place, quarantining at home. Um, Many students and uh, their parents in America still don't know about the CLT as a third option to the SAT or ACT. Many colleges are just now looking at CLT as a solution. The exams are taken online in just two hours with same day results. So much better than having to go somewhere and wait in a few weeks to know what you got on this test. You get the results the same day. The classic learning test has been used by tens of thousands of students in hundreds of colleges and provides the most accurate and rigorous measure of academic formation, accomplishment, and potential. Better tests create better students. That's why CLT exists. So to register for the April 25th official college entrance exam or the April 29th CLT 10, that is the alternative to the PSAT, so the preparatory test, uh, visit cltexam.com. Both exams can be taken from the comfort of your home. That is cltexam.com. Okay, so what we're seeing right now in the United States of America is a desperate power grab by the powers that be to exploit a crisis to try to restructure society or to really just control society to get the things done that a lot of people, particularly on the left, want to get done. Bernie Sanders obviously is one of those politicians. He wrote a piece in the New York Times titled, the foundations of American society are failing us. Of course they are. He has thought that for uh, several decades now. Uh, pushing for single-payer health care in this article, raising the minimum wage in climate policy. But you know who has single-payer health care, Bernie Sanders? Italy, Spain, China, places with horrific death rates, much worse than the United States. When it comes to deaths per capita, just as a refresher, the United States comes in number 10. Not great. Not great. I'm not saying that it's great, 
but also not the worst. It comes after Spain, after Italy, after France, after the UK, after the Netherlands, after Sweden, all the places that, by the way, Bernie Sanders, uh, Bernie Sanders has said for several years that the United States should mimic in policy, specifically healthcare policy. So if you're going to say that the number of deaths in the United States points to the fact that we need the same kind of healthcare as these countries with death rates far higher than ours, you're, you're just going to have to make a better case. You're going to have to explain to me why the UK's and why Sweden's deaths per capita, uh, why that number is higher than ours. We're seeing this kind of rhetoric and this kind of behavior even from a lot of Democrats. This is an opportunity, many of them say, to restructure our society. The left is using this crisis to further show us their true colors and their true colors, as it turns out, are all different shades of tyranny in case we didn't already know that. So cracking down on churches and even the kinds of worship that we engage in, even drive-in services are being banned in some states. In one county in California, they are putting a limit on what kind of musical worship is allowed in a live stream church service. This is real. So LifeSite News reports that in Mandacino County, I think that's how you pronounce that. You guys always let me know when I when I mispronounce cities or, or uh, counties. Uh, the local government issued a directive specifying that for live streamed events, no singing or use of wind instruments, no singing or use of wind instruments, harmonicas or other instruments that could spread COVID-19 through projected droplets shall be permitted unless the recording of the event is done at one's residence and involving only the members of one's household or living unit because of the increased risk of transmission of COVID-19. So basically no worship services where people are singing unless you've got one person in their home that is leading worship, which isn't exactly how worship typically goes when you are when you are worshiping with your congregation, even from the comfort of your own home. Thankfully, some places have changed course when it comes to the crackdowns on churches and on worship. Uh, the PressEnterprise.com reported, spurred by a lawsuit and threats of more litigation, Riverside and San Bernardino counties, these are in California, reversed course Friday, April 17th, uh, deciding to allow outdoor drive-up style religious services in which the faithful the faithful park and listen to sermons from their cars. Oh, thank you so much, local authorities, for allowing people to exercise their First Amendment rights. You guys are such gracious dictators. Uh, leftist media is comparing peaceful protests. This is another way we're seeing tyranny in uh, American society right now. Leftist media is comparing peaceful protests of the shutdowns to white supremacist rallies. This is what they do, by the way, if there is any rally that is mostly conservative, whether it was the Tea Party protest or whether it was just a, a few months ago, the protests against Virginia legislation that would make it very hard for people, for certain people to purchase guns. There were big rallies and protests in Virginia. They called it a white supremacist rally, had nothing to do with white supremacy. Obviously, there were a lot of people there who weren't even white. Same thing with these protests, but this is what the media does. If you peacefully protest, against anything uh, that they are for, then they're going to call you a white supremacist. They don't have anything to say about Antifa, though. Uh, Facebook is actually taking down the posts of those peaceful protests. So they're censoring the speech that's promoting these peaceful protests. Again, 
peacefully protesting First Amendment rights. So leftists have proven to hate the First Amendment if we didn't know that already. Uh, they are prohibiting some of them, prohibiting self-sufficiency. That's what petty tyrant Governor Whitmer of Michigan is doing by banning the sale of gardening seeds at the same time that she declares abortion procedures, quote, life-sustaining. Imagine how backwards you have to be in your head, like how corrupted you have to be in your mind, how evil you have to be and perverse in your thinking to call a procedure that ends the life brutally, violently, painfully into the life of an unborn child life-sustaining. Uh, Michigan was one of those places where peaceful protests were happening. People were protesting against the unconstitutional theft of their freedom and their livelihoods. And she said, Governor Whitmer said, if you keep protesting, I'm going to extend the lockdown. What a tyrannical school marm. Are you kidding me? So I think that if I were doing a tiny tyrant contest, I think that Governor Whitmer of Michigan would... I don't know if she would come in first because we've got some other tyrants to talk about. It would probably be between her and Bill de Blasio, but I'll tell you about Bill de Blasio in just a second. But she is way up there in the tiny tyrant contest. Uh, she is a DNC darling, by the way. She's not some obscure figure, obviously. She's the governor of Michigan, but the DNC Democratic Party loves her. You might remember that she delivered the terribly uncompelling, and I'm not just saying this, terribly uncompelling response uh, to the State of the Union back in January. Now, listen, I'm going to go off on a little Whitmer tangent here, but she deserves it. Uh, there is a disproportionately high virus rate and death rate in Michigan. But here's the thing. Here's the thing, that doesn't necessarily, one, it doesn't necessarily justify what she's doing across the state because there are certain counties in Michigan that have uh, no cases. Of course, where Detroit is, there are lots of cases, but that doesn't mean that there should be a statewide ban on basically leaving your house. She said you can't even travel between two residences, can't even go visit other family members. Uh, now, let's ask ourselves for a second, why isn't the media asking her if her leadership tactics are effective if her state has a disproportionately high number of cases and high number of deaths. Why is it she being criticized for what she's doing if it is apparently not working? Why is it she being criticized for the disproportionate problems that she is having in her state? Of course, we know the answer to that. The answer is that she's a Democrat. But it's interesting how she and the governor of New York, Governor Cuomo, a state that has by far the most cases and the most deaths in the state, uh, they're just assumed by the press to be doing the best they possibly can and are assigned no blame whatsoever for the death rates in their state, for the chaos in their state. It's assumed that because they are A, Democrats, and B, because they're taking more authoritarian measures that they're leading effectively and that the high death rates in their states are just inevitable. That is no fault of their own. And yet, according to the same press, Trump is entirely to blame for the number of cases and the number of deaths in the United States. So shouldn't journalists be asking Governor Whitmer, why do you have such a disproportionately high number of cases and such a high death rate? What's going on in your hospitals? What's going on in your communities? Does this point to a lack of preparation, a lack of effective leadership? Governor Whitmer is being praised by the Democrats for setting up a racial disparity task force. She said, while African-Americans represent 13.6 of our state's population, they represent a staggering 40% of the deaths from COVID-19. She's getting big applause for this, for being apparently proactive in setting up this task force, but no one is asking her, hey, why is this happening in a state that's under your leadership? 
The left claims that African Americans are are dying disproportionately because of systemic racism. So why is no journalist asking her, how have you, Governor Whitmer, uh, allowed that to happen in your state? But of course, simultaneously, conservatives and Trump supporters are being accused of wanting black people to be killed because we all want to be able to go back to work as soon as is feasible as is feasible to feed our families. That's actually an argument that was purported uh, that was that was given on MSNBC that Trump and that conservatives, the people who are protesting, want black people to die. And that is why some white people apparently want to open up the economy. That's actually an argument that's being made. But no one is asking why Governor Whitmer, why in her state there's a disproportionately high number of black people who are dying. No, no, no. It's just inevitable. And she's just doing the best she can. No one asks these questions of Andrew Cuomo either. Uh, So let's move on from the subject of tyranny for just a second to discuss the double standard of how the press is reporting on certain government leaders. It's it's just constant praise of how wonderfully uh, Governor Cuomo is handling this crisis and the leadership skills that he's presenting. It still has to do with tyranny, by the way, because where tyranny is, there's always corruption. There's a lot of corruption. There is a lot of duplicity when it comes to Andrew Cuomo, and you would never know it from reading the headlines in the New York Times or the Washington Post. So he is asking, Andrew Cuomo is constantly asking Trump to do more, to give more funding, to give more money. He's saying that New York is in this state of disarray exclusively because of the virus. But is that really true? I mean, is anyone asking Governor Cuomo why they're in this position of so many people getting sick and so many people dying? Almost 14,000 deaths in New York and only a little over 1,000 in California, another very populous state. In New York City, over 10,000 deaths. In L.A. County, only 617 deaths, very populous cities. Now, we can probably guess a few reasons for that. People live closer together in New York. The weather is, is worse in New York. But that can't account for everything. So why is no one asking Chris Cuomo, uh, Andrew Cuomo, sorry, uh, what's wrong with your state? What's wrong with your leadership? What's wrong with your hospitals? Here's the fact. Uh, The state of New York was facing a budget crisis before all of this happened. Back in November, the New York Post reported that New York faced a $6.1 billion hole in their budget for this year. And Cuomo was planning on taking cuts to Medicaid rates for hospitals and nursing homes to try to begin to make up for that. Uh, they failed to present a real plan, criticized Day Friedfel, uh, Friedful, I guess that's how you pronounce it, of the Citizens Budget Commission, a fiscal watchdog group. This is reported in the New York Post. They've known about this for a long time, but the plan they did present is really one part gimmick. He added his analysis shows the state was already in trouble after pushing off a $1.7 billion Medicaid bill in March 2019 into 2020, which grew into the $4 billion hole. So according to an article in The Nation, which I've actually quoted them a lot recently, I appreciate their honesty. They are a liberal commentary magazine. This is an article by Ross Bark entitled Cuomo helped get New York into this mess. Governor Cuomo has long mismanaged the budget and the Medicaid program, this article argues, um, and has reduced the size of hospitals. So here are some excerpts from that article. Some of the budgetary abyss has been the Cuomo administration's own making, postponing Medicaid payments and failing in the past to iron out inefficiencies like the state's paying Medicaid costs for relatively wealthy private hospitals that don't need the aid in the first place. What's more, the state has lost more than 20,000 hospital beds over the last 20 years. 
Cuomo, who has governed for almost half that period, never advocated for any kind of expansion of hospital beds until last month. He now, he now says that New York needs 110,000 beds, more than double the current capacity. He has never been a forceful advocate for keeping hospitals open. In fact, he's empowered bureaucrats who have argued aggressively to shutter them. In 2013, the Cuomo administration approved the closure of the 500-bed Long Island College Hospital in Brooklyn over loud community protest. Cuomo has justified his cuts to Medicaid by saying, look, we have no money. He's quoted by his representative in this article as saying the state has no money. And uh, NBC in New York is reporting that both Cuomo and de Blasio, the incompetent mayor of New York City, and that is a totally objective description, by the way, who recently told his constituents to send in a picture of people violating social distancing orders uh, in public so the authorities can show up. Talk about a tiny tyrant. They are asking, these two are asking for tens of millions of dollars from the federal government. The New York Times reported that Bill de Blasio pleaded to Trump for financial aid in a press conference saying this. So my question is, Mr. Trump, Mr. President, are you going to save New York City or are you telling New York City to drop dead? Which one is it? You are failing to protect the very people you grew up around. But the truth is, New York was already in a budget crisis before all of this happened, not just because of Cuomo's errors, uh, but also because of Bill de Blasio's. According to this 2017 article by Nicole uh, Gelnius in City Journal, a national urban policy journal, when Mayor Bill de Blasio took office in January 2014, New York was halfway through a fiscal year in which it would spend $76.2 billion. During the current fiscal year, which started July 1st, 2017, the city will spend about $87.3 billion, an $11.1 billion increase. Thus, Mayor Bill de Blasio's inaugural term has seen a 14.6% rise in annual spending. Yet behind, this article goes on, yet behind the no-fuss, no-drama budgeting lurk serious risks. To make his budgets add up, de Blasio has pushed much of the cost for uh, for past spending into the future, making it tougher to cut spending while protecting public services in a future downturn. The mayor has added tens of thousands of government workers to the city payroll without tackling the reforms needed to get their future retirement costs under control. And in a record boom, New York is still not putting enough money into critical infrastructure. Finally, Gotham remains dangerously dependent on its top earners to fund its massive budget. If the city's rich, or for that matter, the emerging world's new middle class uh, who drive tourism don't continue to thrive, de Blasio or a successor will face a record budget crisis. And of course, they are facing a budget crisis. Or maybe, maybe they're facing this crisis that has nothing to do with President Trump and really nothing to do with the virus because de Blasio directed 850 million taxpayer dollars to his wife's mental health program called Thrive NYC. That cannot be accounted for. Meaning, his wife and the program she is leaning, th leading, Thrive NYC, cannot tell you where the money has gone or if the program is effective or working at all. Politico reported in February 2019 in an article by Amanda Eisenberg titled, With Opaque Budget and Elusive Metrics, $850 Million Thrive NYC Program Attempts a Reset. Uh, her article says that the city hall budget shows $594 million in spending since Thrive NYC's inception. The IBO budget shows $816 million spent. 
Both City Hall and IBO suspect the Office of Management and Budget included fewer programs in the City Hall version, accounting for the difference. But the budget discrepancies illustrate the difficulty in tracking Thrive. The article goes on to say that the reports published by Thrive don't show whether any goals have been reached, whether Thrive is actually helping New Yorkers, or what metrics are even being used to measure its success. And yet, the New York Post reports that the program is poised to spend $1 billion taxpayer dollars in five years. Or maybe New York is running out of money because Bill de Blasio spent 773 million taxpayer dollars on a program with the goal of turning around 100 of the city's lowest performing schools. The program failed and was ended after four years and almost $800 million spent. By the way, just as an aside about education, we see this time and again, the more funding, uh, that more funding does not necessarily be equal, equal uh, better outcomes for students. Obama pumped millions of dollars into failing Chicago schools to absolutely no avail, none. Like you can look this up. This is a very buried but existent article in the Washington Post about how much money was spent in public schools by the Obama administration. Literally no good outcome came from it whatsoever. So more money to public schools just as an equal success. But oh, whatever. It's just 800 million of your taxpayer dollars, New York, New York City. I build a blog and I'm trying to be as fair as possible here, is a total buffoon. Like, he's a total and complete buffoon. Even Democrats will tell you that. His presidential campaign was the most cringeworthy thing that you've ever seen in your life. And that's saying something, because remember, Elizabeth Warren was once in the running, too. So what we're seeing, particularly in New York, where the virus is the worst in the country, Failed leaders are using Donald Trump as a scapegoat. They know the media is not going to focus on the real failures that led to New York's current crisis. They're just going to report that everything is Donald Trump's fault, that, that the blood is on his hands. But let's face it, the coronavirus is the best thing that could have ever happened to Cuomo's and de Blasio's political careers. Because all of the budget mismanagement, all of the lack of accountability in their spending, all of the cuts that Cuomo made to the healthcare system before the virus hit will all be washed away by the coverage of this pandemic. And they can claim that their current and future state of disarray in the state is not just because of the effects of the virus and the shutdown, but because Donald Trump refused to help. And like I said, the media will aid and abet them in that narrative. They will spin that narrative and they will say again that all of this is on uh, that is on Trump's hands. Blood is on Trump's hands. They will lay this at his feet. The governor of New Jersey, going back to uh, the petty tyrant theme of this episode, was on with Tucker Carlson a few nights ago. Tucker asked him where he gets the power to tell people when, where, and how they can worship, considering we have something called the Constitution of the United States. Here's how that went. For 15 congregants at a synagogue in New Jersey were arrested and charged for being in a synagogue together. Now, the Bill of Rights, as you well know, protects Americans' right, enshrines their right to practice their religion as they see fit and to congregate together to assemble peacefully. By what authority did you nullify the Bill of Rights in issuing this order? How do you have the power yeah, to we do were that? That's above my pay grade, Tucker. So I wasn't, uh, I wasn't thinking of the Bill of Rights when we did this. We went to all, first of all, we looked at the data well, and tell. the science. 
above my pay grade, he says, no, it's actually not above your pay grade. It's actually not above your pay grade. Is there a higher pay grade in the state of New Jersey that the rest of us don't know about? Like, is there something higher than the governorship that the rest of the states, we just, we're just not privy to that? Could you let us know? So they're just coming out and saying, look, we're not thinking of the Bill of Rights. We're not thinking about your rights at all. We don't care about your God-given rights. He goes on to say that he was thinking of science when he made this decision. Well, here's the thing, and I'm going to take us on a short detour here, but again, it all comes back to tyranny. I'm going to say something that is very scandalous in the secular age. Science isn't supreme. Science isn't supreme. We are not one nation under science. We are one nation under God. Our Bill of Rights isn't based on our science-given rights. It's based on our God-given rights. Our Declaration of Independence does not give us the right to uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness unless scientists say otherwise. It says we are endowed with these rights by our Creator. So the Bill of Rights indeed transcends science. Now, true science, what can be verified with experimentation and conclusive evidence, and God don't contradict each other. Science is a good thing. The Constitution was built upon what we know about human nature and the nature of power and the nature of government, but God is supreme over science, supreme over human nature, not the other way around. But so much of today's science is not bound by objective truth. It's bound by subjective politics, the so-called science of climate, of gender and sexuality, and even pandemics is largely driven by politics rather than objective reality and truth. This is another reason why science cannot be the sole or even primary driver of policymaking. Uh, this is a leftist buzzword, science. They believe that that word alone saying science or scientific is a trump card to support all their arguments and decisions. But it's not. First, because science nowadays like I said, because of the way it's manipulated and politicized has become subjective, but also because fundamentally liberty is more important than science. Morality is more important than science. Like I said, our rights are not derived from simply science. They are derived from God. Science is subject to human fallibility. God is not. Therefore, a society that is built on the God of the Bible is far more stable and far more humane and far more free than the society that is based on science. Uh, the prevailing so-called science says that we have to stay inside until there's a vaccine developed in 18 or so months. Hey, maybe two years. Who cares as long as it saves one life, right? And presumably this will be a mandated vaccine. I'm just assuming like if you want to work, you have to get a vaccine. They're already pushing for something called ID 2020, not a conspiracy theory. It's real. You can look it up. That would give everyone a digital ID that would show up on your fingerprint. That would be, I assume, I think it's injected through a vaccine, show up on your fingerprint to prove that you've been vaccinated. Uh, that is the exclusively scientific perspective on all of this. That is the perspective that views human beings as nothing more than bodies and the coronavirus just another medical problem to solve. That's why they're okay with saying, okay, well, we have to do whatever it takes to solve this exclusively medical problem. That's the one dimensional uh, conclusion the materialistic worldview leads you to, but it's not reality. 
The reality is that human beings are not just bodies. Therefore, our only threat is not just the virus. It's not just a medical or physical threat. Human beings are people with souls. We have spiritual needs. We have social needs. We have moral needs. We are built for community. We are made to work. We need jobs not just for financial stability, but for morale, to fulfill the innate necessity for productivity that God placed in all of us. And we are made for freedom. That is a natural desire born in all of us, the desire for enterprise, for independence, for freedom. I've told you guys in my online women's book club that I'm doing on Facebook and Instagram, we are reading right now uh, a book called Nothing to Envy, and it's about everyday life in North Korea. And we read about the famine that happened in the 1990s where so many North Koreans died because of the depravity of the corruption and the incompetence of the communist regime in North Korea and how finally these illegal markets broke out. So any kind of capitalistic endeavor, any kind of entrepreneurism was strictly prohibited, is strictly prohibited, but in this book was strictly prohibited in North Korea. You could uh, be deported to a concentration camp for committing what they called economic crimes. And so they had these black markets, these secret black markets that were set up to where people would sell and barter and trade just to be able to survive. Now, these are people who had never learned about supply and demand, who had been indoctrinated from the day they were born about the evils of capitalism and the virtues of communism, and yet driven by desperation, driven by a natural desire and drive to survive, they all became capitalists. That's because capitalism, freedom, enterprise, entrepreneurship, the desire to work, the need for productivity to provide for yourself and not to just live off the government dole is innate. It's actually communism and living off the government that has to be taught and controlled and indoctrinated. It is a, a desire for freedom and a desire for liberty and self-sufficiency that is natural, that is part of the human spirit. I mean, that is so evident when you look at a place like North Korea that had never learned anything about capitalism. And yet, because of a need to survive, they all became capitalists. They probably didn't call themselves that, but they became that naturally because that's what it took to survive. And so people are not just uh, bodies that need their physical needs met. We have needs that go far beyond that, but the multidimensional needs of human beings and therefore society are only realized when we see human beings the right way as purposeful people that are made in the image of God, inherently valuable, deserving of the rights he gave us that the government is not supposed to be able to take away arbitrarily. And yet that's what happens when you build societies based on a materialistic uh, point of view, a materialistic worldview, only that which you can see rather than building them on God and not just any idea of God, but the Christian God, the only true God, the God of the Bible. And this is why, by the way, I don't trust atheists to run any organization meant to help people. I just don't. It's primarily why I don't trust Bill Gates. I don't trust the UN. I don't trust the WHO. These are all left-wing, godless entities who claim to be led exclusively by science and are thus concerned with overpopulation and are willing to advocate for the taking away of all rights and liberties you have in order to push their, quote, scientific agenda. It's also why we don't allow scientists and doctors to dictate American policy. 
They're important as advisors and we should listen to them when it comes to all the things that are truly in their purview, but they don't understand the economy. They're not supposed to, that's okay, but we don't need to take their economic advice. They don't have in mind the needs of the people that go beyond the physical and the medical. Our leaders and our lawmakers are supposed to have that holistic perspective. The governor of New Jersey is supposed to have that holistic perspective. He is supposed to not only have the Bill of Rights in mind when he is deciding policy, he's to abide by the Bill of Rights. He's supposed to submit to it. Remember, the Constitution is a check on the government's power. It is to restrict what the government can do, not what we can do. All of our government leaders are supposed to be submitting to the Bill of Rights, and many of them are not, which is exactly why you see the protesting right now and I support the protest. Now, do I think that you guys should be wearing masks and that you should be socially distancing, that you should be, I mean, physical distancing, that's really a better way to say it, uh, farther apart from one another? Yes, I do. I have from the beginning taken this virus seriously and I urge us all to take the virus seriously. It's not some hoax. It's not some walk in the park. I can I can read that from, if you go to the Samaritan's Purse um, accounts to where they are treating all of these people who are in the ICU, by the way. So these are very serious cases. We see that it's not just, you know, a, a cold. It's not just a flu. It is a very serious virus. So of course, I want everyone to take this seriously. I want you protesters to take this seriously. But I absolutely support your First Amendment right to peacefully protest. I want you to take proper precautions, but I want you to protest. It is your right to protest and shame on Facebook for suppressing posts that give information about these protests. That is more similar to something that would happen in communist China than it should be in the United States. Our founding documents are based on the idea, the correct idea, that our rights are inherent, that they are baked into our humanity, including the right to peacefully protest. The government didn't give them to us and therefore the government cannot arbitrarily take them away. Uh, and yet, here we are, unfortunately, as I say, little tyrants everywhere. Let's see, next on our list of little tiny baby tyrants everywhere, Governor Northam of Virginia. Now, you might know him as both the buffoon who advocated for infanticide on the radio and the guy, or the guy, who is still in office after a yearbook photo of him was released uh, in KKK ropes. Tucker Carlson literally refers to him as Governor Blackface Clan Robes, and I can't help but laugh every single time he does. He just straight face call, calls him Governor Blackface Clan Robes, which by the way, just an aside, if you're not watching Tucker Carlson's monologue every night, you need to be doing that. I don't agree with Tucker on everything. I don't agree with anyone on everything, um, but he, I've always loved his show, and especially lately in this whole coronavirus thing, he is a great example of a check on power. Like he is really good at holding the elites in this country who are supposed to be, or the government leaders who are supposed to be serving the people, they're supposed to be public servants. He is really good at checking their power and holding them accountable. So you need to be watching this monologue every night. I always do. Anyway, Governor Northam of Virginia has also utilized the pandemonium of this pandemic to sign into law two egregious pieces of legislation. Here's an excerpt from the article in National Review titled Ralph Northam's Transformation of Virginia by John Hershauer. Like many people of faith, Virginia Governor Ralph Northam spent last weekend bearing witness to his convictions. On Good Friday, he signed the Reproductive Health Protection Act into law, uh, into law which, among other things, waived the 24-hour waiting period, pro-adoption counseling, and mandatory ultrasound that had been pre 
previously required for women seeking abortions. On Holy Saturday, Northam signed the Virginia Values Act, a bill recognizing sexual orientation and gender identity as protected categories under Virginia's anti-discrimination law. As has happened in other states with similar laws, the bill imperils the conscience rights of people of faith as well as those who remain unconvinced that a man could become a woman just by saying so. On Easter Sunday, Northam rested from all the work that he had done. The abortion law also says that non-doctors can perform abortions. So not only is this uh, making more accessible the procedure that kills a child, it's also less safe for women. The Virginia Values Act makes sure that bakers will be required to make transition cakes for transgender people or else they will face a lawsuit. Uh, high school aged girls will have to compete with men with boys who identify as girls so they will have to compete for scholarships with their what the article calls testosterone laden competitors so that's what tiny tyrant little tyrant in virginia governor northam is up to right now so just remember pay attention when there's a lot happening in front of our faces a pandemic people losing jobs livelihoods the will to live in many cases it's easy to forget that there's a lot going on behind the scenes these governors and lawmakers are leveraging our distraction and desperation to accomplish what they want to accomplish, no matter what you think about it. The media, of course, is supposed to be a check on power, and not just Republican power, but all power. But most of them have long since abdicated that responsibility, and truth as a principle is paying the price, and consequently, so are we. Uh, but tyrants aren't just in the government or in tech and media. They are also in our education system. A lot of you guys asked me to talk about uh, to talk about this. There's an article in Harvard Magazine by Aaron O'Donnell titled "The Risk of Homeschooling," which outlines what Harvard professor Elizabeth Bartholet uh, thinks about homeschooling. You should really read the article. By the way, it's such a clear look into the tyrannical nature of progressivism, just how desperate they are to own and indoctrinate our children. Bartholet believes that, quote, homeschooling not only violates children's right to a meaningful education and their right to be protected from potential child abuse, but may keep them from contributing positively to a democratic society. She argues that homeschool could lead to the cover-up of child abuse. She doesn't actually cite that it does. She doesn't show any statistics or any studies that it does. She doesn't give any kind of evidence to her assertion. She also doesn't mention the existence of abuse within the public school system, which happens to be rampant, but she says it could happen, and that's really dangerous. She also points out this very frightening fact about homeschooling. Uh, she notes that parents choose homeschooling for an array of reasons. Some find local schools lacking or want to protect their child from bullying. Others do it to give their children the flexibility to pursue sports or other activities at a high level. But surveys of homeschoolers show that a majority of such families, by some estimates, up to 90%, are driven by conservative Christian values. Ooh, very scary. And seek to remove their children from mainstream culture. Bartholet notes that some of these parents are extreme religious ideologues who question science and promote female subservience and white supremacy. Ooh, conservative Christian values. Oh no, how scary these kids are gonna learn about things like the Bible, like God, like morality, and maybe even the Constitution. What a tragedy, that's so frightening. We have to stop it right now. And I love how she just equates white supremacy to being a conservative Christian. 
Oh yeah, that's fine. We're just supposed to non-along. Not, not along. Yes, that's definitely true. Conservative Christians, white supremacy, all the same thing. As if Christians uh, didn't end the slave trade behind William Wilberforce. As if Christians aren't on the front lines against every single human rights violation throughout history and around the world right now. Oh yeah, no, totally, definitely white supremacist, conservative Christians. She's just assuming that her audience is so dumb, so insulated, and so... Uh, ignorant, naive to the people that aren't like them, that they're just going to say, oh yeah, that's, that sounds that sounds about right, Elizabeth. She argues that the government has a right to educate our children and expose them to ideas. Really? What right is that? Where, where does the government get that right? Where do you, where do you find that so-called right? The government doesn't have a right to your children at all. Your children don't belong to the state. Every totalitarian regime, by the way, this is what happens. The children become wards of the state. Read about Pol Pot's Cambodia, where family units were broken up, uh, children were recruited to serve the state, brainwashed from a young age to become obedient little communists. Do you know how that worked out, not just for the children, but for the entire nation? Look up Khmer Rouge and the killing fields, and you can learn a little bit more about that. Uh, she says in this article, the issue is, do we think that parents should have 24-7 essentially authoritarian control over their children from ages 0 to 18? I think that's dangerous. Bartholet says, I think it's always dangerous to put powerful people in charge of the powerless and to give the powerful ones total authority. How ironic. What do you think public school is? First of all, this woman knows nothing about parenting and apparently nothing about public school. Like I said, what does she think goes on at public school? Authoritarian control. Um, someone is going to raise children. Someone is going to raise children. Children have to be raised. They have to be taught. They have to be cared for. Someone is going to instill them with values. Who do we think is better for that job? The parents who love them? The parents who would do absolutely anything for them, who either adopted them or had them themselves and have known them from the second that they entered the world. The parents that would lay down their lives for them a thousand times. A parent who would uh, give anything for their child without even thinking about it to make sure that they had a happy and successful life. Who do you think is better? Those parents or the state, which runs public schools, who doesn't care about your child, doesn't know your child's name, doesn't love your child, isn't going to shed a tear if your child gets cancer or lives or dies, doesn't care if your child makes it to college, except for just being able to add it to their statistics. And by the way, a state that believes in left-wing moral relativism, who is going to teach her 11-year-old daughter about anal sex and masturbation. Yeah, who do you think is better? You or that state? Uh, that's not to say, by the way, that there aren't uh, very caring teachers. Of course there are. I know that there are many of you out there who are very caring public school teachers. You're doing a great job, of course. Uh, but teachers, no matter how wonderful you are, and there are a lot of bad teachers too. I know you know that. But no matter how wonderful you are as a teacher, you just can't love and care for your students the same way that parents can. It's impossible. You can't know what's best for every child the way that a good mom and dad does. Uh, Bartholet believes that if parents want permission to opt out of schools, the burden of proving that their case is justified should fall on the parents. No, parents don't have to prove anything to the state that they should be able to homeschool their kids. Government, kids are not yours. Like you don't own these kids. You don't know them. You don't love them. You don't know what's best for them. Are there bad parents? Yes, there are bad parents. Are there parents who shouldn't homeschool? Yes, there are parents that shouldn't homeschool. Is there a reason for accountability for reporting and uh, 
even in cases where there is abuse, is there a reason for CPS to show up? Yes, of course. But this article offers no statistics to prove that's what's happening in the world of homeschooling. Let's look at the data, oh lovers of science. Show me the data that says homeschool kids aren't graduating from high school, aren't going to college, aren't becoming contributing members of society. Please, I'd love to look at the standardized test scores or literacy rates or graduation rates of homeschoolers versus public schoolers. Oh no, she doesn't want to look at that. I know she doesn't want to look at that because that blows her case absolutely out of the water. The picture that was on this article, by the way, is a little poor homeschool kid inside looking out her window, which has prison bars on it, of all the fun public school kids that are jumping rope and playing around, and she's inside her poor homeschool prison, which, by the way, the opposite is the truth. Like, public school kids have, what, 30 minutes, maybe an hour a day of playing? Homeschool kids go out all the time. Like, they're always doing nature walks, going to museums. They have a lot more experience than public school kids do. Public schools are public school kids are mostly chained to a desk all day. And by the way, I thought this was funny. On the side of the house in the picture has like uh, four books. So like Bible, math, reading, arithmetic. Arithmetic was spelled incorrectly, which I thought was on purpose to try to uh, tongue in cheek say, oh, like homeschoolers are dumb and they're, they're so dumb that they can't even spell correctly. Um, but I think it was an accident because then they changed it, which is just ironic that you couldn't even get it, you couldn't even spell it correctly on an article that says that homeschool kids are dumb and aren't well-educated enough. Uh, we're not even planning to homeschool, like my family isn't necessarily, but you know what? Maybe we will, maybe we will. This is what the left does and what they don't understand. They're constantly overplaying their hand. They push people further in the other direction. Your tyranny encourages, encourages people to resist your obsession with controlling our lives. And you don't understand that. They cannot get that through their thick skulls. Every time you talk about overpopulation, there's at least one Christian conservative couple that's like, that's it, I'm having 10 kids. Every time you talk about you have to send your kids to homeschool, you have to send your kids to daycare, you have to teach your kids the things that we want you to teach your kids. There's a couple out there that's like, you know what, I, th I, I never wanted to homeschool, but I think I'm gonna homeschool now. This is why people are resisting the pandemic policies that have no correlation to the spread of the virus. The policies against playing at parks or going outside, even if you're six feet apart. The policies against buying plants. That's why people are resisting it because you push it too far. The left constantly overplays their hand, but maybe that's a silver lining in all of this. We're seeing what totalitarians you guys really are. We're seeing what tyrants you guys really are, and I hope more and more people are sick of it. And I hope you carry this energy, protesters and resistors against this tyranny, into November. And there's another reason, there's another reason why we don't trust the powers that be, why we don't trust the so-called elites in this country, the media, people at Harvard, which, by the way, this woman works at Harvard. Why doesn't she go work at a public school? She's working at a private school if she thinks public schools are so great. Anyway... Another reason why we can't trust you guys is because we know that you don't have our best interest at heart. AOC said this when oil prices were dropping so low the other day, people were talking about it on Twitter and saying, wow, a lot of people are going to lose their jobs. Like places like Midland, Texas, they're going to be seriously hurt by this. Well, AOC tweeted, you absolutely love to see it. 
talking about this. This, along with record low interest rates, means it's the right time for a worker-led mass investment in green infrastructure to save our planet. She says cough in it between asterisks. What does that mean? Cough. Are you making fun of coronavirus? Like, what are you talking about? Plus, I don't think you understand how oil prices work, but I don't think you understand how any of this works, but we'll just disregard that for a second and look at the fact that you absolutely love to see it. Like you love to see people losing their jobs. You love to see people's livelihoods going up in flames, but yes, she does. That's, that's the answer. She does. She's motivated by ideology, not your well-being. And things like this just confirm people's fears that the elites, and yes, AOC is an elite, cannot be trusted. Jake Tapper of CNN said this, practically every day I see a tweet or blog post about someone who wrongly thought COVID-19 was a hoax dying of COVID-19. And all I can think about are the members of the media and the politicians who misinformed that person and who assuredly feel uh, zero responsibility. Well, I hope that you're talking about the people on your station, on MSNBC, the WHO, the Chinese Communist Party, who all said that this was no big deal, who said that the flu is far more dangerous, who said some of the organizations, the, the WHO, who said there's no human-to-human transmission, uh, parroting propaganda, who said that uh, Trump is a xenophobe for his Chinese ban and for his European travel ban, for all of you who said that and focused on that, like, are you launching that accusation at them? Or are you just talking about Trump and Fox News? And secondly, no Jake Tapper. The reason people think coronavirus is a hoax, which you and I, Jake Tapper, we're in agreement that it's not, is because tiny tyrants everywhere are enacting policies that don't have anything to do with public health and everything to do with control and slamming Trump. And I don't know, maybe it's also because your colleague, Chris Cuomo, has been sick with coronavirus and has been seen traveling, driving to his other property in East Hampton while he was contagious. At least while we think he was contagious, while he still had coronavirus and his wife had coronavirus. He was called out by a guy on a bicycle who saw him, who Cuomo later in a radio interview called a loser. So that's cool. That's not quarantine. Same with George Stephanopoulos. A week after announcing he tested positive while his wife was still positive, um, or after his wife was positive with COVID-19, he was out and about on a walk. He was actually seen at a pharmacy and one of his neighbors snitched on him. Uh, and also, let's hear how all of these people get over it. Like, I'm sure some people would like your tips and advice. Or are you guys, all of the important people, are you guys privy to some kind of treatment that the poor plebeians aren't? They would never tell us if that were true. They don't, they don't want us to know. They don't care. Meanwhile, Trump is doing some good things like halting all immigration, which is just common sense, right? Like it's common sense. If we have a large number of cases, it makes sense to take care of those that we have and eliminate any risk of the virus coming in again from the outside, right? Now, this is probably going to be watered down. Some people are saying that there is disagreement within the, within the administration that Jared Kushner is uh, pushing for exceptions. Apparently, that's what's being reported right now as I'm recording this. But he is, Trump is trying to put a ban on immigration, a temporary ban on immigration for the time being. Again, just common sense. Well, the media, of course, is up in arms. The same media who has said that Trump isn't doing enough, that he's not being authoritarian enough. Don Lemon on his show had the mayor of L.A., Eric Garcetti, saying that this is not an immigration problem. This is a public health problem, not an immigration problem. As if those things are mutually exclusive, you raving idiots. Uh, Beto O'Rourke coming in hot on Twitter saying this is anti-immigrant. And there are so many valuable people here who are immigrants. Okay, I'm going to just say I regret calling 
I regret calling Don Lemon and Eric Garcetti idiots. I shouldn't have said that, so I'm just going to in real time say that I apologize for saying that. That was too harsh. These are idiotic things to say. I won't say that they are idiots, so please forgive me. I should have been more gracious on that. But back to Beto O'Rourke, who used, um, he's so cool and he's super edgy because he used F words. He said, what the F? What the F is going on? Who the F do you think uh, is going to be doing all of the things that immigrants do in our communities if we ban immigration? What are you even saying, bro? Like, what are you even saying? What does that have to do with temporarily halting immigration while we deal with the deadly virus? I thought y'all cared about not overwhelming our hospital system and people staying healthy. This doesn't have to do with being anti-immigrant or anti-immigration. So your plan is, let me just get this straight for Beto O'Rourke and all the media that are making a big deal about this. Let me get this straight. For everyone for everyone to stay in their homes, that's your plan, for everyone to stay in their homes, to lose their jobs, to go without a paycheck indefinitely, be quarantined indefinitely, except the people that are immigrating here, they should travel. Does that, does that sound good? Uh, do you see why people don't trust you guys? Isn't it obvious why people don't think that you have our best interests at heart? Little tyrants everywhere, I tell you. Little, little, little tyrants everywhere. Okay, that's all we have for today. Hope you guys enjoyed it. I will be back here on Friday.